Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. This is John Leon from the band White Wizard, and you're listening to Talking Metal. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. Welcome one and all to another episode of Talking Metal Live. This is Victor all the way in Spain and in Maplewood, New Jersey. We have Mark Striegel. Hey, Victor. How are you, man? Not bad. How are you, sir? Oh, good. Good. I got the freaking baby monitor on. Let me uh, freaking turn that off, get rid of that hiss. And uh, I'm all right, man. I'm all right. My one youngest son has got like a real nasty cold, which is... Always kind of a drag, and uh, just been podcasting like mad. Was just posting another episode of Talking Rock. I did an episode of the Rock Strikes Ten podcast with Joey earlier this week, and we had a Talking Metal episode posted earlier this week. A couple episodes of Talking Metal, and uh, yeah, man, a lot of podcasting. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely, and and actually, I feel your pain. My oldest son has a cold as well. Uh, leading up to the show, I had to help put him to sleep several times. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually was working on a podcast earlier today that will hopefully come out either this weekend or early next week with a shredder from the Pittsburgh area by the name of Xander Demos. I think you played a track of his. Yes, I think so during an episode of Talking Metal not that long ago. But, uh, yeah, it was cool listening back to the interview today, and we should have that up soon. Yeah, and, and speaking of guests, well, speaking of Mar- two things, let's first announce our guest, uh, John Leone of White yep. Wizard, is on the show tonight. There's obvious, obviously been a lot of White Wizard controversy, drama, and scandal over these past two and a half weeks, so it'll be... F- Nice to finally hear from the guy in the middle of it, the founder, and uh, I, guess, I don't know what the the only really member who's been in every lineup of White Wizard, John Leone. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the only guy that's listed currently as a member of the band. Um, one of the things that I guess we sort of talked about earlier today was how people sort of get upset with uh, member changes in bands and whatnot, or in this case with John being the one steady constant throughout. But there have always been bands throughout you know, the history of rock music and metal where there's one guy that maybe is the mastermind behind everything and sort of the members come and go. Some of the bands that you had mentioned to me on the phone earlier today were like White Snake, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Megadeth, Smashing Pumpkins even. And yeah, Meg- Megadeth, I would say Dave Ellefson. I mean, he's been on every record but one, I think. I would I would think he would be... I don't know if I, I mean I guess I guess Megadeth yeah sure. Actually, Elson I think ha- hasn't been on like three or four. Oh really? Really? He wasn't. Yeah, the system has failed. United Abominations, and the one right after that. He was he's been on the last two, and I don't remember the uh, the name of the one that came out after United Abominations. But that was there were two with James Lomenzo, and there was one with uh, a studio musician who. Escapes my mind. Ah, that's, right. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. All right. All right. So, but um, do you necessarily think that that's a bad thing that some of these bands have one guy that's sort of a driving force and sort of almost like a conductor wants to sort of push the band in a certain direction or has a certain vision and sort of, you know, plugs in the tools necessary to sort of get the, the vehicle going in the direction that they need? I, I don't know if it's a bad thing or, or not, you know. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it all depends on, on the band. I do think sometimes there is, uh, there is something to be said for having, um, you know, equal people with equal parts in, in the band, but, right. you know, sometimes there's not, you know, they... Sometimes you'll have one so- strong songwriter, but because you know you can make more money off of songwriting, you'll have bands letting other people write who maybe aren't as good, and their their songs end up getting on the record, and it kind of drags the record down. I've heard, you know, I've, I could cite some examples of that. I won't right now, but you know, um, which is you know, you look back at Van Halen, and and you know, they gave every band member full, you know a fourth of the songwriting, even though that probably wasn't really fair, but they just wanted to keep everybody happy, you know? So sure. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think there's, there's pros and cons to, uh, to both sides of it. And it all depends on the, uh, individuals and personalities involved. Yeah, I agree. I, I think to some varying degree, sometimes it works. And, and as you've mentioned, there are so many bands that have like one songwriter uh, the one thing with that Van Halen comment that you made, I remember seeing an old Queen documentary where they said one of the things that sort of always divided the band was splitting up exactly who got credit for what, and they decided on the last album that they actually recorded together in Uendo that they were all going to share writing credits and that the actual recording of the album was much smoother because they decided to split everything up between everyone instead of nitpick at who arranged this or who came up with that riff or, you know, so on and so forth. So right. I guess the arguments, uh, you know, in, in every direction that can support one theory or another. 
Totally. Well, it'll be fun to talk to John and it'll be nice to hear uh, what his future plans are. And, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll get into uh, what some of the other band members have said and uh, just talk to him about music in general. So we'll hopefully be talking with John in just a few minutes here. I wanted to quickly mention uh, the support that you guys have been given has been great. Keep using those Amazon links. If you're about to buy something on Amazon, instead of just going right over to Amazon, go to TalkingMetal.com, TalkingMetalDigital.com, or MarsAttacksRadio.com, and just use our Amazon links. You can only, obviously, choose one of those three, but use our Amazon links to uh, open up your Amazon and then go ahead and search the product and uh, buy it. It doesn't end up costing you any extra it's just a an additional step that that uh sends us a few dollars so we get kickbacks on your purchases so thank you for using those links please continue to use them paypal donations are always great you can do those on uh, on talkingmetal.com and be on the lookout for future sponsorships coming to talking metal we are working we're potentially going to be working. I haven't signed up with them officially yet, but potentially going to be working with one of the biggest podcasting ad sales companies there is. And, uh, you know, they'll probably get rid of us if we aren't bringing in visitors to the sponsors that they're providing us. So, uh, you know, a month from now, if you hear me pimping some sponsor on air, definitely use the links, go support them, do whatever whatever you need to do to support Talking Metal. And uh, how about some music, Victor? Sure. Let's get into a track that uh, you actually sent along. This was a, another Eric Bones of Steel discovery, right? Yes. We should almost have a promo for that, like yeah. the... Uh, C- uh, Bones of Steel locker or something. Yeah, I, he has no idea that, you know, I, I shouldn't even give him credit because I don't think he actually listens to the show. I should just uh, claim I'm discovering all these cool bands. But uh, no, it's uh, it's my friend from New York City. Eric Bonensteel is his real name. And uh, yeah, we ca- we call him Bones of Steel. Uh, he just had a baby recently, but I, I need to get in there and do a podcast with him at a bar somewhere. Absolutely. That would be cool. He's I've met him once, and he is quite a character. So, uh, Anyway, the band is Aventir, and the name of the track is Trouble. Trying to shoot 
We are back, and that was a little Aventir with the track called Trouble. Let's get into a little White Wizard right now, and we'll get John Leone on the phone. Okay, sounds perfect. We're going to get into the track Celestina coming off of High Speed GTO. And we are back. That was a little Celestina coming off of the High Speed GTO EP. And on the phone with us is the one and only John Leone of White Wizard. John, how are you? 
great. How are you? Good, good. John, it's obviously been an interesting two or three weeks for you, and we'll definitely talk about some of that stuff. But earlier today, you mentioned something that sounded really exciting and cool to me, something that you're going to be doing as far as a label goes. Can you tell the, the listeners what you have in store as far as a label goes? Yeah, I mean, actually, I've, I've had my eye on doing this for a while. Um, I uh, felt like that, you know, being on a record label wasn't really working for me as far as the business interests go and wasn't really making any money. So I felt that the first opportunity I could get, I wanted to uh, start my own label and start releasing stuff independently. I've wanted to do this for a while. I actually wrote Earache Records many weeks before uh, the news came out that they dropped and it informed them that I had no interest in continuing on. Um, and it felt that way for a while. So, you know, I wish them all the best. It's just that, you know, as, as a musician and being an independent artist, I've just come to the conclusions on my, through my own experience that this is the way I want to move forward. And I'm, I'm writing some of the best stuff I've ever written. I'm actually really inspired right now and, and thrilled to kind of turn the page and, and, and regardless of all the adversity and <laughs> idiocy that's happened the last few weeks, I'm actually in pretty good spirits, I think. Cool. And John, Obviously, White Wizard Records will release White Wizard material, but would you be open to doing other bands that maybe you're not personally in or involved with? I mean, sure, as it progresses. I mean, I think step one for me is, you know, I, I pulled myself out of my, you know, I actually had a career before I quit in 2010 to do this full time, and I've spent all my savings <laughs> the last three years. There's no more high-speed GTL. It's long gone. So um, basically, I'm jumping back into my career. That's step one. Um, getting out of the, you know, for a while at least, I'm not going to tour as much. Um, just in focus on actually making some capital. Because the only way you can really do this on your own is you have to have capital. A lot of bands can't generate that. That's why they kind of get in bad record deals um, with bad recoup, and they're never able really to see royalties or profits. So my whole plan is to make capital, hire my own PR, and do everything on my own and finance it. So that'll start with White Wizard, maybe one other project. It could be a project I'm involved in or another one I don't know yet. I'm still kind of deciding that. Um, and then from there, you know, it's just going to be really kind of a feel it out. It, it, it's uncharted territory. I don't even know, you know, how much money it's going to generate yet. And that's going to be all about throwing money and then seeing what comes back and learning and growing like any business, obviously. So it, it's going to be, I think, trial and error the next few months. But really confident in the material that I'm writing now. And, and in my plans for what I'm trying to do with White Wizard and, and anything else that I'm working with, too. So uh, we'll have to see how it all goes down. Cool. When you say raise capital, you're talking about some sort of business venture or career that you have outside the music business? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a, a career where I was making good money before I left in 2010. I'm going to go back to that kind of nine to five grind. What I'm going to basically do is make money to invest in this from my normal job, so to speak. Um, there's enough money in that and, you know, I'm going to have to commit to it for a while again, um, which means I won't be able to tour for a few months, but you know, it's, it's basically with the situation right now, <laughs> it's going to be a little time before I think, uh, white wizard's going to be, uh, in, in any kind of way able to be able to tour. So I think right now it's a good time to do this. And, uh, I'm really excited about it. I've got, I think I've got my finger on exactly what needs to happen. I've learned a lot the last four years. And um, if anything, I think I can apply that and uh, have a pretty good business sense. So I, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Cool. Well, good luck with that. One thing I wanted to Thanks. ask you is, you know, I've, I've been a fan of White Wizard for a while now through, 
many of the different lineup changes and albums and you obviously have some great songs and you play metal in a in a traditional style which i love and there just isn't enough bands doing that traditional style uh in a good way uh, you know with good songs and performances like you've been able to put forth. But uh, besides all that, one thing that that's always blown me away about white wizard is your actual bass playing. And you, you just have such a distinct sound. I hear some Steve Harris influence, obviously, but who else is an influence on you as a bass player? Well, thanks first. And I mean, the, 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 I have a lot of influences. My vinyl collection is so vast. I mean, I'm, I'm a musician before I'm a metalhead, so I listen to a lot of different genres. And I mean, always a big fan of Motown, James Jamerson, all, you know, all those fingerstyle groove-in-the-pocket players from the 60s and 70s. Um, always loved Stanley Clark, um, some of those guys that were really over the top and, and advanced on the bass even before that even became really trendy or popular. Um, always loved Flea when I was growing up. Big fan of Simon Gallup from The Cure. Um, I know a lot of people probably can't stand that band there in metal, but if you listen to any Cure song, it's always rooted around a fantastic melodic bass line. Um, I always liked bands that had melodic bass lines and music that was derivative around those bass lines. Um, you know, old Michael Jackson records and all the old R&B stuff. And, and of course, in metal, without question, Geezer Butler, of course, uh, Bob Daisley from Rainbow, and then, of course, Ozzy's first two records, huge influence. You know, guys like Getty Lee, of course, which I think is obvious. I mean, Getty and Steve Harris are the first two guys that would always come to mind. Um, But, you know, if it's progressed, I mean, one thing I'm really proud of with White Wizard, I don't know if a lot of people know, but the last two records, I've also played all the rhythm and pretty much almost all the harmony guitars on those records. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you look at the liner notes, and even the songs over the top in 40 Deuces, I played all the rhythm guitars, and uh, I played the lead on 40 Deuces and two of the leads on Over the Top, so... It's, you know, that's, that's why it's like, this really is my baby in a way. And, and it's, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that my rhythm playing and my writing has progressed along with my bass playing. And I love being a bass player, but I like being a songwriter more. And I love playing with the, the interplay of me playing rhythm and harmony guitar against the bass. And that's kind of what set the foundation, I think, for the sound of what it is. Um, some love it, some hate it. I'm really proud of it. Um, one thing I can say is no matter what everybody says about me or whatever I would say about an ex-member of the band, I'm extremely proud of the full-length records that have been put out. I'm, and the one beauty of music is no matter what anyone says about each other, you know, they can't take away the fact that I wrote that stuff and that I created that stuff and everything that I did. And I can't take away their talents that they brought and their performances on those records. And at the end of the day, years down the road, that's all that's going to really stand the test of time. And that's all anyone's going to care about. The bullshit doesn't last that long, but that's that's the core essence of it. And I think the body of work is strong, and I'm proud of it, regardless of everyone says, oh, White Wizard's got a bad name. Well, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that, some my fault, some not. But at the end of the day, you know, the music, I think, is strong. I'm proud of all, all everything that we've put out. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you write on guitar, or do you write on bass? Both. Um, I, I've been writing a lot on guitar. Um, the Flying Bees, you the Over the Top video, is, is I got that guitar right when the first lineup broke up and I wrote over the top 40 deuces in the song White Wizard all in a weekend at least the basic aspects of it I added lyrics and vocal melodies later and, and bass lines as I went along but there's songs too where I'll pick up the bass and then you know a song will come off of the bass and, and I'll write practically the whole thing there and then go figure out the guitar part for the bass line as opposed to vice versa and vocal melodies sometimes things come into my head I'm 
sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a melody and I'll have to get out of the bed and get my recorder out because it's just like there, I'll dream it or whatever. Sometimes it's just when I'm walking down the street, I've got, I think the last two records have been basically written on a rolling microcube and my iPhone voice notes recorder, you know? Um, it's all about spontaneity. A lot of things come to me that way. Um, and then once an idea comes, it'll usually just completely flourish from there. And a lot of times the song will be completed or most of it all within an hour after that initial spark comes. Other times they come in pieces. It's all just kind of a, a varied process. One of the uh, points that you sort of touched on there uh, that I thought were was sort of interesting was uh, the mention of how the music is going to stand the test of time and how you know, uh, how all the BS is going to clear and everything, and people aren't going to remember that. I do think that aside from the songwriting, people do have to give you credit for actually assembling various teams that have worked with you to put out this great music. And and as you've mentioned, you know, they have added their talents to what has come out, but without having a central driving force, I don't think that all that stuff would be possible. I mean, sure. And without question, every single guy I've ever brought into the band, I brought him because he was a badass at what he did. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say everybody that's come to the band are killer musicians. I've got nothing bad to say about anyone's musicianship that's ever been in. What you have is you have had some alpha males that have come into a situation where it's my contract, my thing, and I'm extremely, extremely heavy with the control of it. And sometimes when alpha males have a falling out, it, it's not pretty. And guys want control, and guys are used to controlling what they're in. And when they come into it, it doesn't work out. Um, and, and, you know, that's true of anything. I mean, I think anybody who wants to learn a lot about how this kind of shit goes down, go watch the Eagles documentary if you haven't seen it yet. It's probably the best documentary I've ever seen. And there's a lot of things, even though, of course, we're, we're a microcosm to what, you know, how huge that is. But in reality, the same exact things play out in that situation that have played out behind the scenes in this so often that I just shake my head at the parallels. So it's, you learn a lot about what goes on in bands with egos and with, with control and songwriting and the different kind of things that take place behind the scenes. And it's, it's fascinating. Everyone should watch that. Is it the touring that, that uh, is that usually where you end up with problems with the the members of the band no i mean it, it's definitely those things do come up without question i think there's been problems with you know there, there's really been core problems with as far as problems with me and alpha male kind of stuff really you know in the first lineup that happened a bit which that's a whole other story but as far as kind of the full-length album like earache era so to speak um, it's, it's been me and Eric Kluber in the first band, and it, it was me and Joseph Michael in this band. I mean, um, those, are, those are two of the biggest falling bouts that I've had and where I ultimately had to fire the guy. Everyone else, you know, it's been funny. It's been a lot of strange personal reasons, or a guy got his girl pregnant, or, you know, this guy has this issue or that issue, he can't commit. Um, it, it, it's a long story why everyone hasn't worked out. I know everyone thinks that I've just fired everybody, <laughs> but that's not the case. But however... Um, you know, with, with the situations that were the worst situations, which there are a lot of parallels, um, those those situations, I did have to fire them, and, and they were for extremely legit reasons, and, and afterwards, those guys had gone and said a bunch of bad things, and it kind of had this residual effect, and it is what it is. On, on tour, you know, this tour, if, if you want it later, I can give you kind of some backstory, and then the tour story <laughs> of this situation. Um, yeah. And, and kind of, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we'll definitely get into some of the stuff that that's that you know have uh, Joseph Michael especially has has said. But out of like the these, I guess it must be what like sixteen or seventeen people who have been in and out of the band over the course of the the last what six years. Uh, how many of those? Maybe seven. I'm not sure. How many of those are you on friendly terms with? Um, I would say, you know, I mean, friendly terms. I mean, I, I'm not hanging out with everybody all the time, but as far as do we say hi on Facebook or write or, you know, send an occasional email, I'd say about half, you know, half of them. The first right. lineup, I mean, you know, uh, famously, you know, Luna and I had, had issues and, and I think we still do a bit. We've never really resolved them, but when we see each other, we're very cordial. I mean, we don't fight or anything. Um, I never hear from LaRue. Tyler and I are fine. If we run into each other, we're probably just talking about, you know, picking up on girls or drinking or whatever. We really don't even talk about the past stuff. Um, and as you progress through the lineups, it's probably around the same. You know, there's some people that write me and check in and see how I'm doing. and Some I don't really check in with, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really hate anybody um, <laughs> that's been in the band. I mean, I think that I've got legit reasons to be pissed off. I'm sure a couple of guys feel the same about me. Um, but I'm not as hard to work with as people think. I think ultimately, you know, that's a little bit of a misconception. I mean, there's definitely certain things that I'm very hard line about, but when it comes to at least the creative side, um, you know, one thing I can say is, you know, a lot of people say, well, why haven't you involved the guys more, you know, in the creative process? Cause during this lineup, that was a bit of an issue before the devil's cut. And it was a bit of an issue before over the top. And, and the reason why that I always say in the Eagles documentary, I'll pull a parallel there is, you know, um, the stuff that I was presented, at least in my mind, now, of course, they'll probably disagree with this. It wasn't up to the standards of what I felt it needed to be. And everyone's going to have different opinions about that. Some people think I suck. So, you know, that's just my opinion. But at the end of the day, it's my band. And in those situations, everything that White Wizards released, I think, has been really strong. And I've written, aside from a couple small contributions on Devil's Cutting Over the Top, every single thing, including vocal melodies, lyrics, you know, all the guitar parts, all the bass parts. Um, and how it all interplays. The whole vision's been created in that sense. Um, so, you know, when, when you come down to it, I think that, uh, you know, that, that can sometimes lead to guys being resentful. And, you know, sometimes you have fallen out with people and, and, and that's been, then you're looked at as being hard to work with. But that's how it goes. Wouldn't it make sense, though, that if someone were in the lineup long enough that maybe you know, their contributions would be a little bit more acceptable if someone's being hired to play on an album. Wouldn't it make more sense that they would sort of have to follow, you know, whoever's in charge of that project, in this case, you? Sure. If they're presenting me, I mean, look, if something's strong, I'll be the first guy to say, like, probably the biggest contribution that anyone's done up over the top in Devil's Cut, where there was guys contributing a little bit, is Chad Bryan, you know? He, uh, he hardly gets mentioned, but, you know, at the end of the song, Iron Goddess of Vengeance, um, I had the meat and potatoes bulk of it, but the ending part, I remember sitting down with Chad and Eric, and I was teaching them all the parts, and Eric and I had worked out the intro a bit. He contributed a, a, a piece to that, and then I had this piece that was an outro, and it, it kind of had a D to F sharp to D to A sharp kind of thing. It kind of had a similar vibe, but it, it had the same movement that... Chad's like, you know, I got something similar and he showed it to me and it was just better. And I was like, dude, like, that's it. And, and of course, he's got, you know, second writing credit on that song, um, music, a second musical credit. If something, uh, you know, I mean, look, whatever, I'm, I guess I can call me the, the conductor ever to the guy that's, you know, 
running it. But if anyone ever presented me something that I thought was strong or was better than what I was doing, I'd be the first guy to say, hey, now that's my call. Other people may have a different opinion of that. But at the end of the day, you know, again, if it's not up to what the standards that I feel it needs to be for White Wizard, I'm not going to bring it in. And it's not a, a slight on anybody. That's just how it is. You know, I mean, that's how I run it and that's how I do it. Okay. Well, there's been a lot of stuff uh, that that was said specifically by Joseph Michael, who uh, did an interview with the Metal Sucks podcast uh, last uh, week, I guess. And we we had Will on last week, and I, I thought Will seemed very honest and and uh, and fair in what what he was saying. And his story, I'm sure, doesn't match your story exactly, and maybe it doesn't match. It definitely doesn't match Joseph Michael's story exa- exactly. But I wanted to at least present you a a platform to respond to some of the stuff that's that's been said. Um, first off, the, I guess the biggest thing we've heard is that, you know, you were taking money or even to quote Joseph Michael, stealing money from an Indiegogo fund. How do you respond to that? Well, for one, it's complete bullshit. And I want to be very abundantly clear. There is absolutely zero proof of that allegation. Zero. He can provide none. There is none. I want to make that very clear. Secondly, we cleared, we got 8,200, I believe, is the total you will see that we ended up, you know, getting. Um, Indiegogo charges 9 and 4% respectively, and there's also a PayPal fee. Um, we got about 7,000 in pocket after all of those fees, and anybody can do the math against what they charge and figure that out for themselves. Um, we paid for right. four flights right off the bat. Those cost just over $4,000, okay? So there's that. Um, I provided actually a merch receipt online for the merchandise that, that I was that I took care of for the tour. That was around fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, um, we had to pay for bags to go over to Europe. We had to take care of all the Indiegogo funding stuff, which costed money. We had to you know print things up, do all these different things. It's all documented, and every Indiegogo donator is going to get a documentation. I've already sent them a pretty good breakdown of where the money's gone. What this comes down to is, you know, and I should—I really want to tell the story of the backstory and the tour story. It took a few minutes, but that really sets things up a lot sure. so people understand what's going on. But to just touch on that allegation, the bottom line is, is Joseph is a big shit disturber. He was basically vying for control a lot. Him and I are both big alpha males, and he's a control freak, too. I'll be the first to say it. That guy and I, we don't get on very well when it comes to that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, this guy's basically making allegations out of complete nothingness. He is just angry, I think, because he can't control everything. And what happens is, you know, everyone can't control the money in a situation. And at some point, you know, if people just don't trust you or they're paranoid or they they just want to create a problem, so to speak, which is what happened here more than anything else. And it's also a diversion because there's a parallel between Joseph Michael and Eric Corbeil, and they both were fired by me. And the one parallel is that they both have gone out and made these erroneous allegations against me saying that, oh, it's a conspiracy theory and John Leon's not to be trusted, he's stealing, which are all completely, there's no truth in anything that they've said. What they are is they're diversions from the reasons they were fired which were both very valid and, albeit, embarrassing reasons. Joseph Michael was let go, ultimately, because he refused to take the stage in Cardiff, Wales, to basically make a point from an argument the night before. Fans were begging him to go on stage. I was begging him to go on stage. He refused. For me, I don't care if I sent you a picture of me pooching your mom the night before. 
at the end of the day, when the show is there and there's paying crowds there that are waiting to see the show, you put your differences aside, you get on the damn stage and you do the show. He refused to, to make a point. He was in a pub across the street being a complete jerk. And we all begged him and begged him. We had to go on stage and me and uh, Peter Ellis sang the show, you know. So he wasn't... So he wasn't fired. He, I, I mean, the story I felt that he was saying was that he was fired, and then you guys wanted him to do the show even after no, we, he had we been got, fired. We got, let, let, not to interrupt. We got in a, in a Facebook argument the night before, which the backstory. That's why I kind of want to set this up with everything. But it, it was kind of a straw that broke the camel's back moment between us. And yes, in the Facebook argument, I was like, "F you," you know. You're, I'm done with this and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was one of those types of things. But I did write him the next morning after we were both sober. And I was like, hey, dude, we need to put our differences aside and get through this tour. We'll talk about this stuff afterward. You know, I was I was being the, you know, diplomatic guy. And he just wouldn't let it go. And he was, you know, it was, it was all to make a point from the argument the night before. But there's a lot more going on there. At the end of the day, the guy wasn't fired. It, it, that's complete BS. And, and he knows it. He's just basically using that as an excuse. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the bottom line is, is we were all there. We were ready to do the show, and uh, he chose not to for his own, you know, reasons. And it's the same thing, you know, just I, I draw that parallel with Eric. It's like, you know, he was let go after multiple drinking incidents, and then he, you know, Bruce Dickinson on the BBC, big moment, band that worships Iron Maiden. The guy disappeared the night before it, showed up an hour before, wasted, drunk, slurring his words. The record label person had to take him back. There's witnesses to that to the hotel. He couldn't come do the interview. That was it for me. I mean, if, 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 you, if you do that, especially in the band that worships Iron Maiden, with your best opportunity you've had so far as a musician to go on the BBC and be interviewed by the amazing Bruce Dickinson, and you do that, I mean, if you can't get fired for that, what can you get fired for? But instead, you know, of owning up to it and say, hey, I effed up, he goes out and says, oh, it's a conspiracy, and John did this and that. There's no fucking conspiracy okay these guys were fired for legitimate reasons everyone knows it's my contract going in and that i call the shot and all this stuff is created out of a bunch of bs and a bunch of things to divert that's the best way i can describe at least these types of allegations that you hear these guys say it's kind of like kind of like an ex-wife you know like do you think when after a divorce your ex-wife's going to go say the nicest things about you or she might you know say a bunch of BS in court that they, you know, it, 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 it's a similar thing. A band is like a marriage and these fallings out, they're not pretty. Um, and unfortunately in, in this situation, it has been, you know, a pretty bad falling out, but I'm not going to say a bunch of erroneous stuff about Joseph. I'm just going to state the facts of what has happened and, uh, you know, wish the guy well and move on. So. Well, there, was, there was also that. the, the ins- incident where there was this bag that got kind of blown <laughs> up some girl's bag yeah. where, uh, you know, initially after, you know, I don't know which happened first, him accusing you of stealing money from the, the fund or you a- accusing him of, of stealing the bag. Uh, but what, what is your opinion on that? Because it, it, it almost seemed like, like, like will, it did seem, I mean, the way that he was putting it across was that, that no one ever took this girl's bag on purpose. Okay, well, let, Will left out a lot of facts in his statement, and I love Will, but uh, I think he's trying to protect Joseph a bit. He's a little mad that it went public, but here's the thing. The things that were left out were this. I'll just throw the facts of what I know, and let's move on from it because it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. But bottom line is, is I was actually not there at the time that the bag was taken. I was not there at the venue. 
But what I do know is this. When we were on the rest of the tour on a few dates, the bag had been talked about, and it was mentioned that Joseph had taken the bag. Um, he was trying to hook up with the girl in, in, in Brighton, which was our first show, and he had taken the bag. Now, that's where it was stated to me. That bottom line, is, you know, apparently now the story is she left it in the merch box, but the girl is stated to me and everyone that she never did that. So there's a lot of gray area in what happened with Brighton and what the motivations were. But what I can say factual is this. After the Cardiff incident the next day, Joseph was getting up, being put on a bus. He was basically done. You know, we were going to move on and do the next show without him and then figure out what we were going to do from there. Um, and basically, Will asked Joseph to give him the bag because he, he would even take it to the girl because the girl was coming up on a bus for like a three-hour bus ride to our London gig to get her bag. It had passports in it, wallets, the whole deal. I thought that was a pretty big deal because, for one, she was at a White Wizard show when it went missing, however it went missing, which I still find it hard to believe a person that up in our merch box, but hey, whatever. Um, bottom line is, is what happened is, is he wouldn't give it to Will, and Will stated in the car all the way down, oh, Joseph wants to try to hook up with her, and that's why he's holding it. I don't know why he won't give it to me, yada, yada. So, you know, basically we get to the show, and the girl literally, we're there at like 5 o'clock, you know, I mean, it's way before the show's even going to start. She's there right at the venue. She wants this bag so bad. She came up all the way all afternoon. She's like 17 years old, man. And these greasy rockers have had her bag for like, you know, a week. And it's got her passports, wallet, all sorts of important stuff in it. So I told, I apologize personally. I said, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened, you know, but apparently Joseph took your bag. But Joseph stated he was going to come to the venue to Will that night. Oh, I'll be there. Of course, she waits five, six hours. Nobody, Joseph does not show up. We do the show without him. She's there after the show. She's distressed. And, you know, basically, Will's kind of joking with her. He says to her, oh, if you pretend that you want to have sex with him, maybe he'll bring the bag. Ha ha. And she's just, at that point, she was just sick of it. I kind of stood and I said, look, man, this isn't a joke. I said, we should go public with this because Joseph is definitely in London. He had confirmation that Will did. But Joseph wasn't returning any calls. He'd gone MIA. As far as we knew, he might skip town. So it comes to like literally midnight, 1230. The last train to Brighton is like one o'clock. So I suggested, look, let's put it on Facebook, you know, and go public with it before this guy skips town and get the girl her bag back. She was just completely out of her mind, and I, I felt for her, and I felt responsible because she was at a White Wizard show when it happened, and I felt embarrassed. So basically, you know, Jake agreed with this, actually. They took him to the train station. I called one last time to confirm if Joseph had contacted them or gotten back. They said no. They were dropping her off for a three-hour train ride back. And even Jake said, yeah, just put it on the Facebook and see what happens. That's exactly how it went down. If anybody says otherwise, they're full of it. After that, I posted the thing. Sure enough, it worked. Joseph came out of hiding, returned the bag. Will did get the bag from Joseph and give it to the girl's dad. Um, that's how it ended up. That's the exact story. Anybody can confirm it with the girl. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I think Will was pissed it went public and trying to protect Joseph. He left a lot of that stuff out. And who cares anyway, because it worked. The girl got her stuff. And it's made, you know, I know everybody loves that crap anyway, so I guess it's made for a funny, like, National Enquirer kind of thing, and uh, everyone's having a good time with it. But that's, that's the bottom line, and that's how all that went down. Yeah, there there are a few other things that um, that Joseph mentioned in this uh, interview, and I just want to rattle some of these off and cool. just uh, get your interpretation on them. And, and as Mark mentioned, sort of give you, you know, the podium to state what, you know, you feel happened on your end. Um, 
There's one thing that he brought up saying that Will Warner had paid for the entire tour that as a result of this whole Indiegogo thing that there was no money and that Will had to front everything to make sure that what little of the tour went on, that it actually did take place. Yeah, let's go over that. Basically what happened is this. Yes, we, we came a little short on Indiegogo um, for what we probably should have done to try to pull this tour off. I'll be the first to say that. That was definitely definite. Um, basically what happened is is Will, Jake, Jake had stated, he, he, for a while Jake was saying he wasn't going to do the tour because we didn't have hotels like guaranteed. We were just going to try to, you know, most bands go over, they try to get crash spots, you know, they do this and that. Worst comes to worst, they grab a hotel. Well, Jake refused to do the tour without having every single hotel, like, locked down in, in the U.K. Now, mainland Europe is taken care of. They usually provide lodging for bands, but the U.K., you know, famously doesn't. So, basically, my credit cards are maxed out. That's one thing. I mean, I've been living off my credit cards and savings for three years, so I don't have a credit card to use. And that was a big X factor at this thing, I think, because Will was the only guy that had a card. Will volunteered to put the hotels on his card, and he volunteered to take care of one rental car up front, and he would be paid back out of the monies daily, which he was most of them and would have been paid the rest had we continued the tour, um, which he still will be because I'm going to go out of pocket like I always do and end up losing tons of money anyway. But the bottom line is, is what happened with that is a lot of different factors. I, I want to get into the backstory and talk about the whole tour so everyone can kind of get an idea of exactly what's going on. But Will did not finance the entire tour. Basically, the Indiegogo financed the tour. Will helped out with a credit card. He's been paid back almost everything already. Um, and it's, uh, that's a complete moot point. Um, but yes, Will did help out for sure. There's no question about it. He helped make it happen so Jake could feel better so he would do the tour. And, uh, but yeah, we, we went into it really thin, um, because of the flight costs and all the other costs and the rental costs, et cetera. It was definitely a really tight budget that we went over with. So yeah, we'll definitely help out for sure. There's no question about it, but the fans paid for the tour. Okay. Uh, another point that he brought up was regarding the Norwich show. He says that the Norwich show was canceled because John wanted to party in Manchester and thought no merch would be sold in Norwich. So he used that as an excuse to bail. Your response absolutely 100% lies, 100%. That's not what happened at all. The promoters switched venues in Norwich, apparently, and this is from my booking agent, and that can be confirmed with them. Um, the promoters switched venues, and I guess the advertising, some of the advertising people didn't pick it up. We didn't even pick it up. It was a last-minute thing. He didn't have a lot of tickets sold, and he pulled the plug. It was the promoter that canceled it. I had nothing to do with it absolutely bogus and complete bullshit okay anything uh, else yeah <laughs> before you mentioned uh the melodies how they come to mind and everything else and he's trying to say that he wrote or helped rewrite a lot of the melodies that are on the album and that he was kind to you in interviews by saying that you had written 90 percent of the <laughs> melodies it actually done a lot more than that absolute complete bullshit this was a big thing as we went on with the tour because he was going into some interviews i'd catch him in an interview occasionally stating that he'd written rewritten vocal melodies that's absolute bullshit i've got the original demos i can play them for anyone i can even show them when they were emailed to him um i wrote it is with all the records i think my body of work speaks for itself if you listen to anything he's done and listen to what i've written the last you know four years i think it's obvious who's writing the vocal melodies 
Joseph owes a lot to me and my producer for him even sounding the way he does on that record. Um, he did a great performance. I give him credit. And he did do some really great harmonies. He came up with some great harmonies. And there's a few screens here and there and some embellishments that he definitely came up with. But other than that, that's absolute bullshit, 100%. I wrote that record. I wrote those vocal melodies. I can play anybody every single demo. Complete lie. Okay. And the last point that I wanted to bring up is he mentions that basically the tour was going to go on until Jake got sick and tired of what was going on. And due to Jake flying back home that um that that's when the band sort of fell apart and the tour sort sort of fell apart no definitely not joseph was a done deal after cardiff which i'll tell that story later um joseph was done that was over with i wanted to move forward with the tour with a singer that i had found named giles lavery who uh, fronts uh, dragon's claw from australia as well as the thing with warlord fantastic singer he had actually learned seven of our songs at the time we were in London and was going to pick up the next gig in Cologne. That is true. Um, things came to a head uh, at the London show, I think, for Jake. He actually got up on the mic towards the end and just got the audience to say, fuck Joseph Michael over and over. Um, hopefully someone has that on film, but that's true. And basically at that point, I think Jake was embarrassed. We got on the stage. You know, we had a guest vocalist come in. Peter came up. It just wasn't the same. It was, it was tough. It was tough for him. He's young. He just kind of had it. He was set up, of course. And yeah, Jake did leave. The tour could have gone on. The show could have gone on. But uh, Jake decided to get on a plane. He was done. But yeah, that that had nothing to do. Joseph would not have continued on that tour. And I think that at that point, it was pretty much the writing was on the wall for all of us. Anyway, I had been talking with Peter from Monument, who was the opening act, who were fantastic and extremely professional. They witnessed all of this. And Peter and those guys are a pretty good source to tap if you want an outside perspective of how Joseph was on that tour. I think we actually have a statement from from Peter, uh, which maybe Victor will read later in the show. Sure. Yeah, actually, I did reach out to him, and and he he gave us his spin on things. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it sucks. You know, it, it what's funny is this tour ended up splitting up for some of the most kindergarten and stupid reasons you could ever imagine. That's why I want to tell the story because I think everybody should really know. But at the end of the day, it's like there's no reason the tour needed to end. Um, but unfortunately, you know, due to some circumstances and a lot of idiocy, um, it, it's a it's a pretty good like 101 class on you know how just some some poor planning and egos and idiocy can make a thing all fall apart so quick. It's actually going very well because unfortunately, look if they ask any fan that was at the shows that we did play all of the five piece units that the uh, that the band was firing on all cylinders and everybody was really stoked and. Uh, we were bringing a great show every night. So it's really sad. I feel bad for the fans. I mean, at the end of the day, all this, all this stuff doesn't really matter. You know, like the, he said, she said stuff, most fans, their heads are going to spin by the time they hear everyone's side of this. And, you know, even if you say the truth lies somewhere in the middle at this point, you don't even care. I think, you know, between all of this stuff, I think all the fans want is they want, you know, the music, they want, they want the band to continue to, to be doing something. And, you know, it's unfortunate all this stuff happened. So I, I do want to apologize to the fans, um, you know, and, and I'm sorry that this happened. You know, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, as they say, hindsight's 2020, but I'll tell you, I don't think anybody saw this coming. I mean, it, it, this, this, this came out of left field, this whole thing that happened on the tour. Okay, and go ahead and tell us a little bit about the uh, the tour backstory that you keep mentioning so, so that people can get filled in and, and know exactly what took place. Sure. Well, I, you know, what, what 
some stuff building up to the tour too, just really quick. I, I'll just try to touch on a couple of poignant moments that I think were, you know, big as far as the fallings out starting to happening between Joseph and I. Um, you know, the, the first thing is when I brought Joseph into this, this thing, I, you know, I originally said to him, look, my, my publishing, you know, whatever I get for writing songs, and I, again, write everything, um, you know, I really don't care about that much. I care about, you know, I really wanted to have like a band, so to speak. And when I brought him in, I said, look, I said, if you finish, you know, a touring cycle with us, you know, 100% and you like a whole album cycle, I'll just, you know, because it takes about a year before BMI or ASCAP royalties come in anyway. It takes a long time before those generate, and they're usually not that much money anyway. But I said, at least for us, <laughs> I said to him, look, I said, I'll give you half my publishing, um, you know, if you just, if you bust that and you actually tour. Because Wyatt, famously, the last two records, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't up for touring and he pulled out of a lot of tours. And I wanted, I cared about the fans. I wanted them to be able to see um, the band live. So I told him that, um, that, that was kind of a, you know, what I told him initially, but as we move forward and, and the other guys kind of found out about that and Jake and Will, you know, after we'd done, we just finished the recording and Jake and Will had laid down these superb solos, which I applaud them. Their solos on the record are incredible. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I could sense that, you know, everyone was a little kind of like, oh, well, you know, why is he, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was fair. So I approached Joseph, especially after that, and after we'd kind of all been spending some time together, and I really wanted this to work. I really did. And I said to him, I said, look, you know, instead of me giving you 50%, would, can I just split it 20% to each guy across the board? You know, like, whatever it is. We're talking about a few hundred bucks, man. I mean, I can show people my royalty statements. There are nothing to get excited about. But it was more a psychological thing. You know, I was like, you know, if everyone knows that I'm going to give them 20% of my publishing, and, and cut it to them, then, then, you know, hopefully that'll make everybody feel like it's a little bit more inclusive. And he just threw a complete ballistic crap bit about it. And we got in a big fight about it. And what he basically ended up doing is he went to ASCAP and he registered himself as half songwriter on all the songs. This is right after we had tracked everything. My producer had to intervene and he can be, you should interview him on this because he was involved a lot in this aspect of things. He actually got involved and, you know, he basically, told the guy, look, you know, you need to chill out or, you know, your track's going to be erased and, you know, John's going to, you know, either call Wyatt or have someone come sing the album. It was literally down to, it was almost a done deal over it. We were fighting about it. I thought he was being a complete jerk. It's my publishing. I mean, I write it all. It's like, you know, it just didn't make any sense that he would just hold on to that and he wouldn't give it up. So that was a really big deal, but it, he eventually relented and we ended up working that out. Um, but it was almost to the detriment of the band splitting up. So all that happened, we kind of worked through it. And then the next thing that happened was, of course, you know, the thing that kind of happened before that, I kind of touched on already, was kind of the creative creativity. They wanted more input. And, you know, I said, look, you know, let's get through an album cycle, you know, let's see what you got. Get me some solid demos, you know, work on it. And, and I was definitely open. You know, I, I've never been close to it. And so it was that friction. And then lastly, the Indiegogo video. That was a big one. I don't know if you guys saw the video that we did for the Indiegogo campaign. <laughs> um, there's a scene where I, tongue-in-cheek, kind of had a record label accountant raping us all in the video. Um, at the time, Eric had informed me that they weren't going to give us any tour support. I wasn't happy about it. Um, I was already very unhappy being you know, on a record label anymore anyway because there was really no money coming in. And um, I think at that point, I was kind of ready to walk anyway. But a couple of the guys, you know, guys that are involved in a project that's on a label, 
some guys have a perception that being on a label is extremely important to them. So one of the things that's really put a lot of wrinkle in the fabric of this whole thing is that Eric Records, you know, and me, I, I was ready to move on. I think some of those guys didn't want to. And I think that, that those types of things also really caused a lot of friction. So, so those things were already going on underneath everything. Um, and then from there, basically, you know, came the Indiegogo was successful. We got enough. But we did the math, and it was like, look, we can do this tour, but it's going to be tight. And we went through all the things I talked about. You know, Jake was very insistent that everything's got to be booked. Will helped out with his credit card. Um, you know, we had to get merch to sell because that was the only way we were going to make any profit, um, you know, based on the guarantees we had and all the math we had done for the daily show. So, you know, the merch was made, and we started the funding of the campaign. Now, unfortunately, with the tightness of the time frame versus the amount of time it took to do everything, we had to wait to ship all the gifts to everybody to last the tour. There was no way we were going to be able to do it before. So as we built up to the tour, there was a, a, an X factor in this. Basically, Giovanni and us, we'd all done a West Coast tour, and the tour didn't go very well. We were playing like in pizza joints on some of the shows, and not a lot of people came out. Um, we had a couple of good shows, but most of them were bad. Um, there was a lot of tension and, you know, Gio's been in this a long time. I love the guy, but I think he finally just was like, you know what, you know, he, I think he kind of saw, <laughs> I think he actually was kind of a genius in that sense. I think he just saw this was unraveling even then. Um, and I think he just, he just decided, look, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, so I, I went and found, um, somebody that I actually, the guy I actually wanted in White Wizard originally, a guy named Devin Lebsack, and him and I had been in some bands previous a few years before, and um, he was available. He, he was kind of in contracts before, that's why I couldn't get him for White Wizard, and he's extremely pro and fantastic, so I snatched him, and he was ready to go full force, and he really wanted to be a full-fledged member, and on the West Coast tour, Joe had had a buddy of his come that was kind of like a, a film guy, and he filmed a bunch of footage of us on and off the stage, and when uh, when we were getting ready to go on the tour, he was they wanted to put a video out, and I said, "Look, now that Gio's not in the band, you know, I don't. I, I knew I had to put a press release out that Gio was gone, and you know that this guy was in now. And when the tour started, I was like, "Look, you know, I think we should wait and get some footage um, of of you know the new drummer before he put a video out. I think it's just confusing to the fans to put a video out at the same time as saying that he's not in the band. I think that's just not smart." And a lot of my friends in the industry agreed with that. So, you know, Joseph and kind of the power play thing was like, F you, and, you know, I'm putting it out, and you have no say over this. And, of course, it became, yes, I do. One of those stupid things where you're butting heads over something like that. I said, you're not putting the freaking video out. We're going to wait and get stuff with Devin, or we don't put it out. That was basically my bottom line, like, that's it. I put it down. So we get to Europe, and there was all the tension about that. And then the, the, the X factor in this, too, was, Joseph had kind of imposed that this guy was going to come and he was just going to join us on the tour. The guy was going to fly himself over, this filmmaker guy. He was going to join us on the tour and film stuff. And he'll film stuff and later on, you know, they're going to put a DVD out, et cetera. And that's a great idea in theory. But as we were doing the math, I warned everybody. I said, look, if a sixth guy comes on this tour, you guys realize that we're either going to have to rent a huge splitter van or we're going to have to get two cars because... I had actually set up this monument to be our opening act to provide us all the gear for the tour, which was fantastic. That saved us a lot of money. Thank God for monuments. Those guys literally worked it out to provide our gear, all of our backline, our amps, our drums, et cetera, 
in exchange for the opening slot, which was great. And so that gave us the opportunity as a five-piece, which was the original plan, to where we could rent literally a mid-sized car, put our guitars and our bags in the back, uh, Monument could help us move anything else, and we could literally drive around Europe in one car, which is extremely cheap in comparison to vans. You do the math, it's fantastic. You get unlimited miles, et cetera. The gas is cheaper. So this, this was going to make it a viable tour in the sense of finances. But Joseph did not listen to me. He had his buddy book his ticket anyway. So it was like imposed. Basically, this guy's coming. He's going to film the tour. And so we ended up in a situation where we had to rent two cars because we couldn't afford a big splitter van. And the problem was, is my credit card's maxed out. I did find a friend in London that was willing to help us, but the UK has very stringent rules on car rentals. And it turned out that we couldn't pull it off. So we were stuck with one car and six guys. <laughs> and so basically, long story short, um, the drummer and I, Devin, decided, I volunteered. I said, hey, you know what? Um, I'll go ahead. Me and Devin talked about it. We'll take buses and trains and carry some extra gear so the four of you can fit in the car and we can make this work, you know. We were doing everything we could to try to make it work because the playing up to this point had just been really, you know, shaky at best. And a couple of guys, you know, they didn't really do anything. Some guys in a the band, they just want everything taken care of. They don't want to do any of the work or the planning before a tour. And I don't have any help. I don't have a manager. I don't have anybody. So it's kind of like it's just up to the guys, you know, um, which makes things difficult on a tour like this. You're inevitably going to have problems. But, you know, we were doing the best we could. And, and Devin and I basically kind of stood up and said, hey, we'll do this. And that's what we did. We rode, you know, National Express buses to every show. We carried extra gear. Him and I toughed it out, man. And we, we just went for it while those guys drove. And so, you know, we started getting to the tour okay. But this inevitably would lead to a huge problem <laughs> that would start the whole chain of events here. Um, but as we were going, we got to Glasgow, Scotland. I remember that night being poignant. Um, you know, we just to give an example of, of stupid things that happened with bands, like, you know, we were given a case of beer, really good beer by the promoter, and, you know, me and my drummer come off stage, and there's only one beer left in the fridge, you know, and we're like, where did it all go? And, you know, Joseph and his buddy, they'd all drank it all, and they're all wasted, you know, these types of things. And there's little disrespects they build up. You're like, dude, like, come on. You know, so we got to a point where... Yes, the Norwich show was canceled. We did Glasgow. We did Manchester. All the guys, the guys that were in the car showed up extremely late the next night in Manchester, so we couldn't set up merch. So right before we went on, I was pretty pissed about that. We kind of argued about that a bit. Guys weren't helping Monument load their gear out afterwards. Um, I was having issues with them about that. So those arguments were starting to happen, just little things. These things happen all the time, though, with fans, I'm sure. So... But it comes to a head, basically. The Norwich show was canceled by the promoter. Nothing to do with me whatsoever. So this particular night, we had to go from Manchester to Cardiff. Okay, that was our next show. But we were going to have a day off the next day in Cardiff. Um, so Will and I set up to book the hotels in Cardiff. And I handed Will the cash for them, actually, and he booked them. So basically, the, the hotels got booked in Cardiff. Since we, did, we had a night off, we weren't going to Norwich anymore. We had to cancel those hotels and go to Cardiff now. So we left Manchester, um, and basically what happened is those guys, those four guys, again, were in the car by themselves, and William and I, or excuse me, Devin and I, were on the train. And that particular time, because we we'd already decided we would take trains instead of buses to Scotland, they're more expensive, but they're faster. I know this is mundane information, but it will make sense in a bit. 
Um, basically, the bottom line is, is Devin and I took a train to Cardiff. And we both rode the train, and Will was supposed to pick us up at the train station because the hotel was far from the train station. Well, halfway on the train to Cardiff, I get a message from Will, oh, we're not going to be there. We're going down to uh, hang out with my family and party with some friends like an hour and a half south, but you should be able to check in the hotel by yourself. Here's the info, which I thought was really uncool because, like, you're going to leave us stranded at a train station with tons of stuff while you go party. And basically, you're leaving us totally screwed. So we get to the train station. We end up having to walk everywhere at the gear. We find a way to, the taxi's going to be like 40 pounds. We're like, well, that's too expensive. We tried to figure out a train to get there. We went to the wrong place. It was a nightmare, just absolute nightmare. We finally got to the hotel, and then we found out there's no restaurants. There's nothing around, and we were starving. So we had a taxi all the way into Cardiff and back. It cost like 80 pounds. And, you know, go down partying somewhere. They didn't even end up using the room, which we lost money on that. And I was pretty pissed off, <laughs> to put it mildly. And so when these, all these things came to a head that night, this argument that happened basically came. Joseph sent me a message in Facebook. He was drunk down there. Who knows what time of night. I was at the hotel and sent some pissed off. And he starts accusing me. He says, you and Devin took a train today. That cost extra money. You guys are stealing our money. And Devin and I actually went out of pocket to pay for the train that was extra. We'd agreed to take buses except for Scotland. I mean, it's, it's really ridiculous, but this is, this is what made the tour fall apart. So at that point, I got pissed off. I'm like, look, you need to, you know, Joseph had been kind of riling me up throughout the tour, and I just was finally like, look, man, I'm like, you need to stop making allegations of me ripping people off. Um, you know, I've been confronting him recently and, and, and over time about, claiming to be Ronnie James Dio's cousin. I, I come to the conclusion I, I felt like he wasn't being truthful about it, that it was a PR stunt, and I didn't want White Wizard's name attached to that. We've been arguing about that. Um, and it, all this stuff kind of came to a head in, a, in literally a Facebook argument. Okay, we Did he honestly person. think that he was Ronnie James Dio's cousin? Because, I, I, I mean, when I read that, I kind of remembered thinking that that seemed a little odd to me. He claims he is, but his stories have changed a lot, and, and I, he's got no proof. I've asked him for proof. He's got none, um, and I just, I, I've come to the conclusion through my questioning and through my observations that he's not. Um, he's not going to be able to provide any proof, and uh, I, I'm sure that Dio's camp wants nothing to do with it and probably couldn't care to give two craps about it, but for me, I just, I was like, I, on principle, I didn't like it, and, and so it was something we'd been arguing about, and all those things kind of came to a head in that Facebook argument, and he's, you know, Oh well, you know, you're 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 taking money from this or that. You know, you're not. You're, since you guys took trains, you you know, you you're ripping off our money. And and I'm just like, look, man, I, I just lost it because me and my my drummer had been like schlepping all this stuff around all day. They abandoned us. They didn't stay on program with the tour. It's a tour. It's not a party, you know. So so they're not there. They don't show up all night. So yeah, in the Facebook argument, I was just like, you know, f you, and I'm sick of this, and you know, f off, and you know fuck this, I'm done with you, that type of thing. You know, it was just one of those drunk Facebook arguments. So, you know, the next day, you know, I figured, you know, we fought before. I figured everything's fine. We'll just go on, show, go on. You know, we'll work out this stuff after the tour. So long story short, I get to the gig and, and monument singer Peter Ellis comes up to me and he's like, he's like, what's up with Joseph? He's like, he told me that the tour's canceled. And I'm like, what do you mean he told you the tour's canceled? So I wrote Joseph again. I wrote him earlier and told him, hey, you know, let's just work this stuff out at the end of the tour, as I stated earlier. Um, I wrote him again. I'm like, hey, man, you know, we got to do the show. You know, what's going on? You know, let's get over our crap. You know, let's put our personal differences aside, et cetera. He doesn't write back. 
So then Will starts telling me, oh, Joseph's going to, you know, they finally get there in the car because they came back up from, you know, Will's wherever they were partying the night before and showed up at the venue, you know, later after Devin and I had showed up the drummer. And uh, Joseph says he's not doing the show tonight. And I said, well, he's got to do the show tonight. I'm all, there's <laughs> a lot of people coming to this show. And he's like, well, he's, he's upset. And I said, well, upset or not, he needs to do the show. So as the night progresses, you know, no one knows where he's at. We go eat. And then Will's like, oh, well, he, he's in a, he was in a pub somewhere, and now he's gone. I don't know where he's at. And he disappeared. So as Monument's playing their set, we're going on next. Um, you know, he gets, he gets over to me and says, oh, Joseph's in a pub across the street, but he says he's not going to do the show. And I said, well, you know, go try to convince him. I mean, I was pretty ticked off, and I was like, last, last resort, I'll go over there, but, you know, let's see if you can work it out with him. Comes back, Joseph's not doing the show. Monument's set's done. Joseph's not doing the show. I wait 10 minutes. Joseph's still not doing the show. So I finally walked over there. I went in there. Joseph's drinking a beer. He's drunk, just sitting there, pissed off look on his face. And I said to him flat out, I said, are you going to do the show? And he's like, no. And I said, well, why not? And he's just like, F you and F you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I'm all, come on, man. I'm like, regardless of our personal differences, we need to be pros right now and do the show. You know, it doesn't matter what we're pissing each other about. No, no, you don't, you don't have a singer. And then, you know, just, just all points of the argument the night before. And I'm like, look, I'm like, I've already written you twice today. I told you everything's cool. I'm like, we were both drunk. We've been fighting throughout, the, you know, different times. We need to put our personal differences. There's paying fans. There's like, you know, a ton of people in the venue waiting to see us. And he's sitting across the street. And I'm like, dude, this is the most unprofessional thing. And, and when Will was walking me over there, I had this poignant moment. Will says to me, just to warn you, John, Joseph's very upset that people come up to him and tell him how great you are. People keep doing that and he can't handle it. And I looked at Will and I said, man, are we in fucking kindergarten? I, I just couldn't believe it. And then so in the venue, or not in the venue, in the bar where Joseph's sitting, still refusing to do the show, um, he's, he's saying, he starts going off about the bus and train thing. And, he, and Will's like, well, yeah, we're kind of upset that you guys took trains instead of the bus and and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you guys got to be kidding me. There's fans sitting in a venue right now, and you guys are bringing up minute dollar amounts of us taking trains and accusing me of, of effing your money. Because, I mean, it was just so fucking immature. It was mind-blowing. And I finally said to him, I said, look, I sat down with him. He actually asked the bartender to have me removed. He said, oh, I'm a paying customer. And the bartender actually laughed at him, which was kind of poignant. I actually filmed this, too, so there's proof that he refused to take me to the show. I've got about five minutes of footage of it. Um, oh. in case he tr tries to say that he didn't do this, because I've got it on film. So I finally sit down with him. I put my arm around him, and I said, come on, dude. I said, once we stopped yelling back and forth, I said, let's get the show done. And he's like, no, fuck off. He's all leave. I'm like, dude. And I, I, I actually gave him a hug, even. I said, dude, let's let the bullshit go. It's a tense tour. We both are both extremely fucking aggressive. We're both alpha. The whole deal. I get it. But we got to right. get this tour done, bro. And he just flat out, see, this is what he said to me before I, I left the, the, the bar. He said, get over there and wait for me. Maybe I'll show up. And I finally was like, you know what? Fine. I walked out. I told Will, keep trying to convince him, but this is just ridiculous. So I go sit there. We wait another 10 or 15 minutes, and a fan actually went over and begged Joseph to take the stage. And you know what he said to him? I'm in a chess match with John Leon right now. That's what he said to him. Fan comes wow. back. He won't, he won't do it. I said, you know what, this is the most unprofessional bullshit I've ever seen in my life. You know, even Blackmore and fucking Gillen got on fucking stage together, for Christ's sake. So I said, you know what, F this. We're going to do the show. We're gonna, I'm going to sing, and we're just going to do it. Like, all the fans were there. 
And we just got up there. I told the fans what was up. I said, Joseph Michael's sitting in a pub across the street. He won't come perform the show. So we're going to do the best we can. And the fans now, I'll tell you what, Cardiff, Wales, those guys supported the hell out of us. I started to sing. I sang the first song, and it was pretty rough. You know, I mean, I, I can sing in the studio. I can write stuff. But, you know, my voice doesn't have the power projection to sing it live as well as I could. Otherwise, I wouldn't have all these headaches anyway. But the bottom line is, is Peter Ellis was a champ because he sang, obviously, for us for a while and knew some of the songs. So I got on stage, took the mic, and we did some songs with him. I sang Kings of the Highway. He sang a few. We did the best we could. We did some instrumental stuff. Like Jake and Will had a guitar war. It was great. The fans went absolutely ballistic. It was, it was actually really, it was, it was pretty liberating, to say the least, after what I'd just been through. And I was pretty damn proud of what we just pulled off. And the fans were great, and they stayed afterwards. They all hugged us. They were just so supportive. And I can't say enough about the fans in Cardiff, Wales. And they all witnessed that. Everybody was there. Monument was there. Everybody witnessed what went down. I don't care what Joseph Michael says about me. The bottom line, what he did in Cardiff, Wales, was the most unprofessional bullshit act. And that's why he's fired from White Witch. All the other stuff is all just whatever, you know, fighting back and forth. But I wasn't, you know, this is why he was fired, bottom line. And I think understandably so. If anybody argues that point, then I don't know what to say to him. So after that, basically, you know, at the end of that whole debacle, um, you know, he showed up drunk back at the car two hours later. I know he went up to Peter Ellis and was like, laughed at him. Oh, you sing for White Wizard tonight, huh? And I think Peter pushed him and almost tackled the guy and killed him. And I think his guys just held him back and... Everybody just tried to be, you know, as chill as they could because Monument had a lot of money invested in doing that tour. So they were extremely angry that that went down, and rightfully so. So, you know, at that point, that's when I started securing singers that night, and I found a singer. Um, the next day, that's when, you know, they, basically everybody was telling Will to just leave Joe and Cardiff and not even pick him up. But Will, you know, he's, him and Joseph were kind of tight, and Joseph's, you know, kind of in his. They're, they got this thing going on. So he basically said, no, I got to get Joseph Fly back to the hotel. And so we rearranged. We ended up getting a ride with some people back to their house. And Will said, I'll pick you guys up tomorrow and drive you guys to London. And we'll, we, we set up for a sub singer and Peter to do the London show. And uh, that was it. Joseph was done, man. There, there was no going back. Even my drummer was like, there's no way I'm getting on the stage with that guy after what he pulled tonight. And it'd been wow. on, you know, ongoing, ongoing unprofessionalism before that, even with Monument, and everybody was sick of it. So I got to the point where I was like, all right. And, and, but just to back up, too, also when he had told Monument that the, ship, the tour was canceled, when Peter came up to me and was concerned, he wrote all the fans that had donated to the Indiegogo at the same time and said I was stealing from them. Like, right. just to make right. a point from the other. And that's why this went public. That's why I ended up going to the Facebook and saying what was happening, which had a domino effect, of course, with everything. But, you know, that, that, at that point, I was like, look, this guy's just pulling complete, utter bullshit. And, you know, I just wasn't going to stand for it. So basically what happened from that point is, you know, we stayed with those people the night before. Will took Joseph to the bus station. That's when Joseph refused to give him the bag because he was hoping to hook up with the girl. And that's what Will even said. So basically we, you know, we rode to London, Jake, Will, Devin, and myself in the car. And then we met a singer there who was nice enough to, you know, learn three or four songs. Peter did some songs. <laughs> we did some instrumentals. And we did the London show, you know, completely without a net. And it was, you know, Cardiff was better because it was spontaneous energy. This was a little flat. It was a little embarrassing. We were all tired. Um, the plan at that time was to keep going, at least for me and the drummer. I had the singers secured. Giles is fantastic. 
he had his guy was learning songs. I think he had seven songs down by the time I last checked in with him out of the ten from the set. And he was good to go. And, and Monument had money invested, but the pro- two problems were it had gone public. A couple of the German shows, you know, there hadn't been much promo from the label purposefully. And the German shows hadn't sold as much. They were, they were relying on walk-up. They didn't know what it was going to be. So a couple of the promoters found out. They're like, oh, we can cancel the show now. And that's what the booking agent was kind of telling me. Monument was nervous that some shows would be canceled. But we were still fighting to go on. But yes, then Jake just wrote me and said, I'm on my way to Heathrow. I'm done. And, you know, we could have... We could have saved the day and kept going, but, you know, Jake decided he didn't want to continue on and, hey, that's his prerogative. You know, I mean, in a way, I don't blame him. Um, I love the guy. I still love Jake to death. Um, but I understand. You know, Jake's been caught in the middle of, you know, all this bullshit, you know, alpha male fighting and nonsense and just, you know, but what happened and what happened on the tour and the reasons all this happened are completely and totally. The reason the tour was canceled is Joseph Michael, and he's completely legitimately fired from the band. And no matter what anybody thinks about me, and no matter what he says, which a lot of it is bullshit, just like what Eric said after he was fired from the band, regardless of the fact, you've you got to be able to agree and understand that. And there are so many people that will back this up. All the fans in Cardiff, Monument was there, everybody was there, and they witnessed it. There's no squirming out of it for him. And no matter what else he says, to me, that's the bottom line. Absolute unprofessionalism and just absolutely disgusted by the whole thing. And at the end of the day, the fan lose, you know. I'm back at my studio. I'm riding. I'm kicking ass. I'm moving forward. I'm, you know, it's 80 degrees in L.A. I'm riding my motorcycle around. Like, life is good, you know, and I'm blessed. And I feel blessed to even be alive and doing this. But I'll tell you what, I feel bad for all the fans that still wanted to see us that didn't get to. And, and the reasons, I feel so bad for the reasons. They're stupid. It's just it's mind-blowing to me that we're even having this conversation and that we're right. not on stage wherever the hell we're supposed to be right now. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and it is quite a story, that's for sure. And I guess the, the, the question is, uh, how far is White Wizard set back at this point? I mean, how, how long? I know you said you're raising some capital. You have the new White Wizard records uh, starting up. Uh, how long will it be before we hear new material from White Wizard, uh, whatever that lineup may become uh are we talking a few years away or do you envision something happening quicker than that no definitely not a few years i mean i I think a few months for sure i think right now my focus my focus is on kicking i mean i've already written some of the best shit i've ever i'm so inspired one thing that people underestimate about me is they can go say all this crap behind my back and bullshit and try to smear my name all that's going to make me do is go in the studio and elevate and that's all i'm doing right now I'm writing, I'm channeling everything into productive, I'm being positive, I'm ignoring things. I haven't even listened to Joseph's podcast, I never will. I don't even care what he's saying in the press. All of my friends in the industry that I respect the most, who all think this is the same exact way about everything that went down and are behind me 100% on this, all told me the same thing. They said, John, the best thing that you can do is just forget him, just ignore it, don't get caught up in the war of words back and forth, make the statements you have to, and go and create and be positive and move forward and just and just say, hey, I'm on to bigger and better things and be done with it. And that's exactly the way I'm approaching this, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And at the end of the day, the, the music's what matters. And I want to get more music out for the fans. I'm going to release some singles to start, see how that goes. I plan on having a single out by December. So I'm not even messing wow. around. And right, right now, it's probably going to be me, the drummer, and, and you know, I'm, I'm still 
waiting to announce who the singer's going to be. That's going to be the core of it, kind of like on Flying Tigers. And I'll have some guest lead players lay some stuff down along with myself. I know that I feel like I'm a solid player, but I, I definitely can't do the shreddy stuff that guys like Jake can do, et cetera. So, you know, I, and I'd love to bring Jake on the track or bring, you know, some an ex-guy that was in the band before on a track or somebody else. Um, that'll okay. probably definitely happen. So th- th- there'll be... You know, the studio aspect of things I think will be easy. I write songs like crazy and will continue to. The live band, we'll have to see how that plays out. So you would envision just potentially releasing a single by by December. And uh, is, you know, kind of to just steer the conversation in a totally different direction. What is that kind of how the, the industry is leaning? I mean, I've heard, you know, Motley Crue, for example, released just that one single a year or so ago, and it almost seems like you don't have to release full records. And is that something you would consider doing, just releasing song by song? My philosophy at this point is exactly that. I've almost considered, I'm still deciding, but I'm thinking about releasing a single a month for the next year. I think that's what I'm, I'm thinking about releasing one song per month um, hiring my own PR on each release, and I may only do it digitally. I may not even do hard discs anymore. Maybe at the end of all the singles, I'll do a, a compilation with some extra material or B-sides or something and release a limited amount of hard CDs and vinyl once all that's completed. But yeah, I think in all of my you know kind of observations on how the industry's going and what I think would be the most beneficial, I think that may be the way to go. I think just doing a song a month, getting it out there, Working out, you know, now that I'm in control that I can give each guy that's on it a certain percentage off of all the digital, you know, stuff and a quarterly printout and make it all very, you know, you know, cut and dry for them. You know, with, with the record label, I wasn't making any money. So it's like nobody's getting any money, not even me. So who cares? Now that I'm in control of it, um, at the very least, I'll be able to make money off of it. Now, how much? That's all going to be a factor of how much PR I can afford and, and how many people decide they want to buy stuff versus illegally downloading it. Who knows? That's a whole other, you know, new area for me to explore. But I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot more. I feel very free and liberated. I think being away from all the tension with Joseph and being away from the record label right now, I actually am extremely excited. I know it looks bad from the outside and everybody thinks the thing's in shambles. But at the end of the day, man, I've written every single, all these albums, it's all John Wright, man. So that's the one good thing is, you know, that's still me, and I'm still going to be able to create that stuff. And there's stuff coming out of me right now that I'm really pumped about. So I'm just diving right back into it. I'm also going to start doing some other projects and, you know, branching into some other stuff for a little bit. And, uh, you know, just kind of take a, a bit of a vacation from all the tension of trying to make a democ- you know, democratic band and do it this way. And, and I think going forward, there's no question, you know, I'm, you know, you always need help in these things. You know, it's good to have management and people planning things. I don't think any band would have been successful. You know, Maiden would have never gone anywhere without, you know, Rod Smallwood, Mandy Taylor, and all the people that, you know, that did all that stuff behind the scenes for them, you know. And, and you got to have those those big managers and those big players or people behind you. So in order for the band to get out there live again, I think, you know, I really do need that help. I think doing it on my own and wearing too many hats um, is is difficult and i think building that trust up with the right guys takes time and unfortunately this fell apart before that can really come to fruition so it's it's one of those things that i think as i move forward i think it's, it's going to be done very carefully with kid gloves as far as the live end of it but you know if i have to hire session guys you know some people do that there's plenty of people to do that now in the industry as well and you know work out something to do it that way then 
so be it. You know, I think that at this point, you know, my conduit of, of how I'm going to present the songs and get them out there um, will be what it is. But I am proud of the fact that even though I've gone through different members, I think that the body of work continues to be consistent. I'm very proud of every release. And I think that one mainstay of me writing has been great. And I've always brought great musicians in that have brought their A game to the process. So when you have those combinations, it always works. And that's not going to change. I'm still going to only bring in the best musicians I can, and I'm going to continue to write. So I don't cool. see it taking any kind of a you know a step down. I think it's only going to continue to ascend. And it's interesting you mentioned you know, bringing in session guys and stuff. I, I don't want to mention any names, but I, I've been rather shocked at, at how affordable like some actually big name players are, you know, uh, to get to play a solo on your record and stuff. You can get like some pretty big names for, you know, five, 600 bucks to come in and do a solo on your record. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you guys talked about Will's uh, album with his wife. I think that's what they did. I mean, they, they brought all sorts of people in, you know, and I, I don't know what it ended up costing them, but the point being that you can go hire people, um, to play on your stuff. Luckily for me, since I play all the rhythm guitars and the bass guitars and, you know, most of the harmony guitars, and I can do lead if I want to, which I have on some songs. Some people hate me for that. Some like it. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, some people think it, it sucks and some, some think it's good. That's besides the point. You know, whatever I decide to do, you know, I can kind of, I've got a lot in my control there already that I can kind of handle. And then I can kind of bring people accordingly. My, my drummer and my singer are the two, obviously, most important elements to making the record work. I think drum, sure. I, I've always said it. I talked with a guy who was a talent scout years ago for a record label. And he always used to say that, you know, the first things he would look for is how good is the singer and the drummer. Um, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. I think good vocals and good drums really are what can set, you know, a lot of things apart. There's a lot of good bassists and guitarists out there, but you know, I think, you know, songwriting is the number one thing. I think that I must know 500 guys that are good shred guitar players. I only know maybe five good songwriters. So I do think songwriting is the key element of everything. But uh, after that, yeah, having a good drummer and having a good vocalist are uh, things that I think are really, really important. So I always put a lot of emphasis on that before I try to figure out who's going to lay down leads or whatever, you know. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that, that people hear your side of it and it's definitely uh quite a soap opera and i am glad for you and for the other guys that you know you, you can all just put this behind you and and move forward with the uh, creativity and you know making m- new music which you guys do so well that's yeah that's at the end of the day that's it and, and you know regardless of, of the, the lies or the bs or whatever anyone wants to say about me for their own agenda i don't care at this point my my philosophy right now is I'm going to wish them all well. I wish them all the best. Um, you know, everyone who's been in this project, I wish them all the best. And uh, I, I hope that, yeah, I hope everyone continues to create and make music and that everybody stops talking about this and starts paying more attention to music. Because one thing that sadly is true that Will said is this got a hell of a lot more press than we got when we actually did the tour. So <laughs> everything yeah, leading up right. to the tour, we weren't getting any press. Everyone's like, why don't we get any press, you know? And you know, the label and I are pretty much done with each other. They weren't really doing anything. And it was like, well, now we did this. Like, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, the silver lining I can find in it, I guess, you know, they say there's no such thing as bad press. I mean, it's like a lot more people know the name White Wizard, and it's definitely etched in their, their, their skulls, even if it's for, you know, <laughs> for ridiculous, stupid reasons or something that they find entertaining or laughable or 
it, it gets a certain emotion wild at the very least, you know, hopefully as we put more music out, that gets to more people. And if that happens, it's worth it to me because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about continuing to grow the musical aspect of it. That's, you know, that's my final point. I think I want to make too. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. That's it. I'm, you know, there's no conspiracy. I'm not a, not a politician. I'm not, <laughs> people give me too much credit. I'm literally just a rock musician that started the band he wanted to make and is just trying to run the band the way he wants to. That's clashed with some people that a lot of people have left for stupid reasons too. But you know, that's, that's why I'm in this is because it's all about the music. And, and that's why I can go right back to that. That's my, that's kind of my release. And that's also my, you know, my ultimate, you know, conduit to, to spirituality and everything is music. And it's always gotten me through everything to so the darkest times, everything. And, and it will continue to do so. And that's the beauty of it. And that's something that nobody can take away from anybody. You know, everyone's talking all their, whatever, it doesn't matter. The music is what's going to last. And I think that's always, you know, the silver lining that I find in it, no matter how bad this crap gets. Cause a lot of people always ask me, how do you keep going? And I'm like, I love the music, man. I'm just a fan, you know? I'm that guy that was at a Rush show going absolutely out of his fucking mind when he was 15, you know? <laughs> right on. That, yeah. that, 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 that spent a, a month trying to figure out how far my, my ticket was away from the stage and sitting in my street in my neighborhood trying to picture where the stage was going to be. And, and, I mean, I'm that guy. I'm the most passionate music fan you'll ever meet. And, and that's why this band started. I didn't start it for all this crap. It's just been an unfortunate sideshow been a mixture of circumstances and idiocy and mistakes by all. And unfortunately, it's my band. I get blamed the most. It is what it is. But uh, yeah, it's been a hell of a ride, man. Hopefully the, the train will uh, get on a smoother track soon because I don't know, you know, I want to keep touring down the road and be able to bring the music to the band, but I don't want to hide in the studio forever. But the stuff like this will make you at least think about doing that. <laughs> right know? on. Well, I think you have yeah. a great plan. I think the thing you want to do is is come back, you know, sooner than later with with new music, even if it is just one track. Uh, and let us know. I mean, we'd love to, you know, if you have a, a, even a little sound sample of a, of, of a track ready in a couple months from now and you want to come back on with us and, and play it for the people or talk about it, uh, we're cool. here for you. Yeah, it was actually three songs. It was actually a 20-minute progressive epic <laughs> that oh, nice. I've written as well. There's a, there's a couple songs that are more straight up in the White Wizard fashion, but I think even better than a lot of stuff I've written so far. So all of those will be released um the, the epic missionary is, is really philosophical and has a lot of deep different things that it touches on. I'm really excited about that. It's got a lot of cool parts. Probably record all those at the same time. I'm hoping within about a month. That's the plan right now. I and mean, then, yeah, release them, you know, a month at a time. And then every quarter, kind of do, you know, three more songs, release them, and just keep doing that kind of song a month thing, I think, over some time and see how it all does. We'll see how it all flows. All right, John. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we're friends on Facebook now, so we'll definitely uh, touch base there. But uh, reach out anytime. Cool. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, man. I hope you guys all uh, have a great rest of the evening. Victor, enjoy Spain, and uh, hopefully I'll see you over there soon. Excellent. Thanks yeah, a lot, John. Night, Take care. Good night. Night. Wow. Yeah, I got to wrap come... it up, man. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, Probably the sun is coming up over there for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a great, great interview, and I, I'm glad John was able to uh, come on and and tell us the story that he told us because it's, uh, it's uh, quite an amazing tale. So why don't we – I'd say we probably wrap things up, right, Victor? 
Okay. We'll we'll do that and uh we'll discuss, I guess, uh what we do with the quotes. Oh yeah, yeah, you got so. the quotes. That's right. That's right. Um Okay, yeah, we can play a song and quickly come back and do the quotes. That's that's cool because we yeah we we promised that we would uh, read at least at least the one right. So let's do that and we'll quickly read the quotes and and then call it a night. Okay, uh, let's get into a little torpedo of truth coming off of the Devil's Cut by White Wizard.
All right, so we're going to get into some yeah. of the quotes that yeah, were you, sent. Let's, re- let's, why don't you set up the, the quotes and explain in detail who these quotes are from for people who maybe aren't familiar with, uh, you know, the White Wizard family. Right. The two main quotes that I'm going to read are from Peter Ellis, who was the former lead singer that John referenced during the interview is taking over during some of the shows. And he now sings for what band? And the band he sings in currently Which is Monument. It was a band all, that you know, he... was obviously Monument was touring with them on this tour. And they, as right. John said and Will said, they were... They were hurt in, in a few different ways, uh, financially and just emotionally by this whole whole thing, too. Yeah, this was actually one of this is one of their first big tours that they were going to be on. And they were really I mean, from what I'd read online, they're really counting on this whole thing to uh, go through. So uh, Peter's comments are as follows. It is very unfortunate that the tour ended the way that it did. I really it really takes just one person to ruin a great thing for everyone else. And in this case, that person was Joseph Michael. I've never come across any other musician so selfish, insecure, unappreciative, and downright immature in my entire career. I wish him good luck in his journey all the way back to obscurity where he belongs. As for John, Damn. people often... <laughs> people often... Hold him responsible for things that are completely outside of his control. And if anything, John's weakness is that he's too nice putting up with people's bullshit and tends to bring unreliable people into the band. But I need to publicly state that he was a true gentleman to me during my time as a singer of as the singer of White Wizard and considering Jesus, it's late. (laughs) And I consider him a a good friend. It's not John's fault that musicians are flaky, bullshitters, and egomaniacs. It's just the way things are, and especially in today's metal scene where there really isn't any money at this level. Musicians get disappointed quickly and just bail or complain all the time, which leads to friction. It has nothing to do with John not being able to keep a lineup together or any of that nonsense. I wish John the best, and I hope what happens doesn't stop him from writing and putting out their new music for their for cool. his fans. That was a powerful statement there. What else? Who else we got? We have Jake, the guitarist that uh, just Jake left the band. Jake was on the Talking Metal podcast a while back with Will. And, you know, I, I keep the the one thing in that interview, I remember asking them, hey, this band is at a lot of people, you know, come and go. And do you envision this lineup, you know, lasting? I said I asked them some question like that. And then both Jake and Will during that interview, making it sound like they were committed for for uh, the long haul. So, um, I, you know, it's, it's it's too bad out of all of them. It sounds like 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 Jake maybe uh, could it if not end up back in the band possibly end up at least playing on on some future music by White Wizard. Yeah, I, I mean I I would agree with you especially based on what he sent along. Uh his comments basically go like this. Uh when I left the band I told each member that I would never talk bad about any one of them in the press. 
The only thing negative I will say is I think that the whole way this went down was extremely unprofessional, childlike, and quite frankly, I was embarrassed to even have my name mentioned in any of this unnecessary high school drama. The situation that led to the European tour imploding was more down to lack of planning, management, and funds. In reality, White Wizard should have never taken this tour. To tour Europe is very expensive, and without any tour support from a label or person or personal investor, it is next to impossible. We had money from the crowdfunding campaign, but even that was a few thousand dollars too short of what we actually needed to be able to make the tour work. I had brought this up to the band a month before the tour started, but agreed to do it to honor my commitment. Quite honestly, I'm not surprised we did not finish the tour. I just did not expect it to be an explosive war of words. I think the German philosopher, Frederick, I guess it's Nietzsche, uh, best described this situation with his... It might be Nietzsche, I don't know, Nietzsche, I I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, words are but symbols for the relation for the relations of things to one another and to us. Nowhere do they touch upon absolute truth. Ooh, all right, heavy shit there. And uh, actually, real quickly, the last quote that I actually had was from Giovanni, and he actually mentioned that on his website he explains and a little bit of what John had mentioned during the the interview. He was burnt. Um, burnt with the band after that tour. And he basically said that he almost stopped pursuing music altogether. Uh, he's actually composing a soundtrack to a movie right now. And he's actually going to be going off in a few different directions at the moment to sort of, uh, sow his musical oats. And he wants to stress that, uh, his girlfriend and money issues had absolutely nothing to do with him leaving the band. Wow. So, wow. all right. Well, I'm sure we've all gotten our sh- enough, uh, I don't know, our fill, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, of the, the white wizard drama. And I think uh, yes. I got sucked into it. You know, I got sucked into all the, the Metal Sucks articles and the interview and the interview we did with Will. And it's, it's definitely a, a, a crazy story. But. I think I'm ready to leave it behind. I think all you guys should be ready to leave this behind now. And let's just uh, focus on what, you know, John Leone's going to be up to next musically, what Will Walner is going to be up to uh, next musically, and even the, the XX guys like Eric Kluber. I mean, I'm always excited to hear what he has coming out. And uh, let's just leave all this drama behind and and move on and uh, enjoy what white what we should, which is White Wizard's great music that they've uh, given us through the years. Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. And I've always mentioned this, no matter who I've spoken to from the band, uh, is that you know the music is what actually resonates with me, and whatever relationship or drama issues they had, I mean that's. Uh, you know, in the end is, is their issue to, uh, sort out and let's just have fun and enjoy the songs. So, uh, that's it, right? That's it. Yeah, that's uh, it. I I might, uh, let's see. I saw nine inch nails this past week. It was a great show. That's my review and probably going to go see Hagar this (laughs) Tuesday, potentially down in red bank. So, 
Looking forward to that. In Red Bank, where's he playing? The Count Basie? I think so, yes. I'm not I'm not sure actually. I, I think it's the Count Basie, yeah. Really? Not a Hagar. I like fan, Hagar. One of my first absolutely. concerts was uh Hagar on the VOA tour, Voice of America tour. Voice of America, yeah. I don't I don't know. I really can't say that I really enjoy any of his uh, solo work right, beyond that album. Right. But that's that's just me and I'm no, wacky like that. Cool. Well let's uh what do you got a track we can play to get us the hell out of here? I do. You know, I was deliberating on what I was going to play, and we had talked about the uh, compilation that Lars Ulrich put together, uh, the new yeah. wave of British heavy metal, and how that awesome. all sort of ties in. And I've always loved this track. It is Witchfinder General by Great band, Witchfinder great General. Song. Let's check it out, guys. Thanks for joining us. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.